Talk Zone presents Motivation with a Purpose Radio, the show that highlights the inspirational stories of people from all walks of life. Now, bringing you real inspiration, here are your hosts, Rich Hallstrom and Zeke Bambolo. Welcome once again to Talk Zone on this Friday morning for Motivation with a Purpose. Every Friday morning at this time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, where we attempt to inspire, motivate, and challenge you to live and work with purpose. I'm Rich Hallstrom, and my co-host is Zeke Bambolo. Once again, we have a great show planned for you today. Former replacement referee Lance Easley is our very special guest. He has a very special brand new book that he wants to tell us about, and we're going to take time to listen to that very important conversation about one of the most controversial calls in sports history. But before we get to that, we want to take time to remind you about where you can find us on Facebook at MWP Radio AM, on Twitter at MWP Radio Man, and of course, right here on the Talk Zone channel. Hey, Zeke, how are you doing this morning? I am doing fine. I've got a busy weekend ahead of me, my my brother, and so I am just trying to ease into it as best I can. But it's gonna be on fire. So, but I'm doing good. It's a you know, it's a gloomy weather. We're that it's that fall time of the year, and uh, but uh, the kids are also in school and they're having a lovely time. So all is good with the family. And also, when we talk about fall, football comes to mind, of course, my friend. <laughs> and what better way to celebrate fall? Then talk about one of the most controversial and maybe uh, not only controversial, but intense conversations ever had about a particular call in a particular game. It's almost a year, a little bit past, I should say, the year to the day for what they call the call. Monday Night Football, Green Bay versus Seattle, and Lance Easley, the referee who made that important call is with us today and he's going to talk about his brand new book and how that experience has not only affected the football world but his world personally and there are some very valuable things we can learn from it i agree with you and that's why we 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 do this show every friday and trying to give people other viewpoints, other opportunities to to see life in a different perspective. Sometimes, even with football as it is in America or soccer around the rest of the world, we get caught up in these things and forget the life-changing moments that are occurring right before our very eyes. And we get so caught up in, well, my team this, my team that, your team this, your team that, and... Uh, you know, Lance Easley and everybody else, including Golden Tate and Pete Carroll and Mike Tirico and John Gruden, everybody was engaged in a very life-changing situation that they did not stop to take a deeper breath and see what was going to happen in another man's life. But that's why we exist, because we see the bigger picture of what was going on on that Monday night football game and what happened in Lance's life. And we want to talk about those moments as, as well, as in addition to the highlight that really uh, shocked the world. So what a great place to be. And I really love the title of the book, Zeke, uh, Making the Call, Living with Your Decisions. Notice how it says living, and not many people know how to do that in a particular situation, especially the pressure-packed situation that Lance found himself in. So we're going to learn some very valuable principles from behind the scenes that you may not have thought about. Let me so say this. Let me say this before you even get to that. I know where you're going with this, but let me say this before we even get this. That's a, that's a tip I want our audience to start to rattle in their brains right now. The scripture talks about endurance breeds perfection. Endurance. Endurance in these kind of moments breeds perfection. And then perfection must, in, 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 in time, obviously, I mean, that trial that we go through in terms of those, the trial that produces, that requires endurance will then produce perfection and completion in who we are. And I believe today we will hear some evidence of Lance and the perfection that has been created in his life by what trans- transpired a year ago. And what I hear you saying, Zeke, by using that scripture is that in that moment in time when we are put under pressure and put under the spotlight and we have to make a decision that we have to stand for, the end of the story, The end of the story is not written in that moment, but it's what you do with that moment. So 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 great, you know. And and the deal is, 
too often, especially in our culture in the West, we seek to escape rather than endure. And uh, the lesson, the transformation happens in endurance, not in escape. Those are excellent words of wisdom, Zeke, and I think that is a great jumping off point for our discussion this morning, so let's get going. Lance lives on the beautiful central coast of California and is deeply involved in serving his community and his church. Lance's life as a sports official is in pause mode while his life has returned to the arena of the arts. Besides working as a banker, Lance is a sought-after inspirational speaker and motivational speaker. He also produces documentary films. And now we welcome Lance Easley to the Motivation with a Purpose microphones. Good morning, Lance. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing fantastic. Sounds like you guys are having a good good day, too. Yeah, we, we can't wait to have this conversation with you this morning because through your unique life-changing experience, you have definitely learned some principles that we can pass on to our audience and use in our lives. But let's start at the beginning of the story and tell us, what do you remember about that play? Take us back to the beginning and take us through that whole situation. Well, uh, that play, any end-of-the-game play like that, uh, where you know the outcome could be decided by one play, and and typically in a desperation play, I'd say it's got to be close to 90 95%. It never happens. Uh, nothing from desperation happens. The game ends. Um, you know, it's that's they call it a hail mary. I don't know the history of that. I probably should. I probably should start studying that, but uh, figure that one out. But at any rate, they threw a desperation pass. Seattle was behind, and the only thing that they could do to change the outcome of the game was score a touchdown. And my my position on the field was on the goal line, and I had to watch. Several receivers come into my vantage point, and as uh, Seattle Seahawks uh, quarterback Russell Wilson released the ball, uh, he chose to throw it to my area, and uh, in, in that instant, I turned to officiate and look and see what the players, how they reacted, and remember, I made a call, but it was based on a play, and they made a play for the ball, and they chose to try to catch it. And typically the defensive backs will try to bat the ball. In this case, they didn't, and they came down with the ball. And, and, and when they did try to all possess it, I, I knew at that point that it was an uh-oh moment. This is in front of 18 million people on TV, and now it's become very difficult on me because people are not going to understand how to uh, rule on a play like this. It's, it's not an easy play to rule on and they brought the ball to the ground i was hoping praying to god that when i got to the pile somebody would definitely have definite possession it would be clear cut that wasn't the case so it was simultaneous possession by rule it goes to the offense and that was what what happened and it caused pandemonium and chaos and Everything else when you have to make a decision based on something that most people have never seen before um, or they're they don't really want to deal with that decision or they have uh, they have a dog in the fight and they don't like the way the decision goes I mean Lance Zeke here and thanks for you you touching a couple of things that I want to kind of echo what you said as we spent a few moments just dissecting the play first of all you're right I mean you looked at the, you look at the video you're right on the pylon on the goal line uh, the other yeah. official that came into the play is coming about from halfway across the other end zone. He's running over. You've got first, I mean, obviously your position gives you first access. Um, you're right. In most, in, what is baseball? They say time goes to the runner. I mean, there's always something going towards the offense in terms of those, those bang bang plays that, uh, that occur. And so you were touching a couple of things that many in sports, especially, we don't assume that everybody in our audience is, is a sports nut. So we want to kind of take a moment to just ask you to kind of, you know, dissect that a little bit in terms of what you're saying of the advantage of the offense. And how did you really, because you're right, there was a, it was a situation where from your vantage point with Golden's back to you, as well as looking at where MD's Jennings is, I mean, it's tough to see right off the bat. Even the guy that came, the other official had to kind of wave his hand because he was, he looked down and then, but the call is yours and people don't really realize yeah. what's going on. And They'll fall to you anyway, not knowing the rules of the game. So can you elaborate a little bit more? Well, yes. On on that play, for example, as officials, and I elaborate on this in my book, Making the Call, I I get into give people an inside look at officiating. That's one of the blessings of the book. 
Um, but I have, we're trained to stay put. You don't want to be moving if you can help it to officiate a play. And then on that instance, I'm stuck on the goal line uh, by mechanics in the way that we're directed. And I, I had to turn and look at that play. And I see all the players going up, Golden Tate and, and the other players, and then them coming down with it. And my partner, he is under the goalpost, and you can see on film and still shots that he can't see any of this. It's all my, my call. I have to deal with it. The only thing that he got there for was the end of the play to look down to see in the pile who had ultimate possession, which we could not delineate that. Now, I share again in my book too, you know, out of, in efforts as all officials do, we want to get the thing right. Our goal is to do what is right for the outcome of the game so that the best team wins. Well, I'm, I judge myself harshly to say, I wish I would not allow it. And hopefully this message resonates with people. If you're paid to do a job and you do that job, don't, and you have confidence in what you're doing, don't let outside influences change what you would normally do. In this instance, I, I was so concerned with what the media was thinking about us as replacement officials all the time that I decided to sell the call versus doing what I would normally do, what I would confer with my fellow official first, which we would have still come up with the same outcome. But in my mind, I said to myself, in that split second, the media is going to crucify us if we talk about it. I need to sell the call, and then it will go to replay. And I did not know my, my other official would go up with another signal, which is, in essence, stop clock, let's talk about it. Um, and that's what happened, which caused a lot of uh, a con- a confusion for the audience. They look at that and say, oh, no, now these guys really don't know what's going on. So it really worked and backfired. But the, the learning lesson, nonetheless, is, be confident in your decisions and do what you have been trained to do and don't allow those outside influences, which I erred in that moment. And I, I, I fault myself for that in the book and share that, you know, that's, that's my moment of learning uh, and growth. And hopefully I can pass that on to other people. Lance, as you say, I want a follow-up question to that. And uh, I think I haven't heard a whole lot of people talk about this when it comes to you in particular. And I'm hoping you can share some light to, on us, with us here. But I look at the situation and what happened in your life, including that, obviously, the game, the infamous game we were talking about. But <laughs> tell us a little bit about your experience with the NFL itself in terms of how you – what happened there? The, the whole ride, you mean, from beginning to end? Yeah, I mean, you talked about a little bit of the replacement official, the pressure that you guys are already under. I'm assuming as, as you uh, work through that whole moment, I want to understand, how did the, I mean, the NFL, your opinion of what happened between you and the NFL, can you share some light or share some light on that for us? Okay, well, the, the whole experience for me was tremendous and a blessing. And they gave me and these other officials the opportunity to come work when, there was a, a labor negotiation that we really didn't have anything to do with. There was there's an industry just like any other industry that's moving ahead, and um, there was a, a labor issue between the two parties, and we stepped into it. Uh, never thought we would see the field. Most of it, I didn't. I, I thought I'd never be on the field, but I, I thought it was a great opportunity to meet other officials and to understand more how officiating happened at that level. The NFL is a very professional uh, organization. In fact, challenged me to the depth that I confessed to my own pastor that it made me start thinking because they're so protective of their brand that um, I was wearing their brand now. I was a part of the NFL that I had to carry myself differently, and I told my pastor, I said, how embarrassing it is that I don't think the same way about who I am in, and I represent Christ, mm. <laughs> that I don't have that same thought process, that it, it kind of shamed me a little bit, um, and so it, it brought me to another level. But um, the, the other aspect, too, is I prayed. We, have a, we had a, a Bible studies before the games. I led the Bible studies and, and when we met. Um, and we we were encouraged to be uh, involved with our faith, not not and, and uninvolved. But if we had faith, we were encouraged, and we would pray before and after games. In fact, it became where my 
my fellow officials wanted those prayers said before the games um, after our first game in Oakland. Um, and, and it was it, very touching, and we grew pretty close. And actually, the other official that was under the there at the end, it makes it look like we're not on the same page. He was probably the strongest brother in the faith that I had on my whole crew. And uh, <laughs> it's uh, very interesting um, how we go through things there. But the NFL, they trained us well. Uh, we were all seasoned officials. There were nobody there that hadn't seen a lot of games at, at variety levels. Uh, the rules were the most difficult thing to get a hold on. The speed of the game, it's faster in, in a lot of areas, the offensive and defensive line specifically. The, the receivers don't get any faster at that level. Um, you know, I asked somebody asked me that the other night. I said, well, they run about a 4-3-4-4 in college. Um, they don't run 3-3s in the pros. And he said, oh, I never thought like that. I said, yeah, they, they're just all fast, you know, and, and you just have to run and be in the right spot to officiate. And that's pretty much it. Lance, was this situation the biggest single decision that you've ever made in your life that was a public decision? Or where does it go on the, where does it go on the decision meter that, on the important decisions that you've made? Hmm. Well, in front of that many millions of people, probably that, that, that would be, I think there were 16 to 18 million watching that game live, um, that night. Uh, but the most important decision, I would always say, is my decision to receive Christ, uh, February 14th, 1985. And that is way above and beyond this decision. Then the decision to make, uh, to marry my wife, to ask her to marry me is way above this decision. Uh, and, and many other decisions I've made in my life. This, this, I think the people's reaction to this decision and, and, and the, them defining me within it, that's what's interesting too. I, I, I'm a banker. I saw a client yesterday and he said, Lance, remember last year you were in Seattle before the game. We were talking about this loan we were working on. And I asked how you were doing and you said, you said, I'm grading out well, which I was. I was doing really well throughout the, the season. I, I was getting uh, good grades from my, my supervisors. And, and he said, you told me this. You said, I just hope I don't make a call <laughs> that will mess everything up. And mm. he kind of chuckled when he said that. And, how, and I, I'd forgotten this conversation I'd had with him, but he sure remembered it. Um, and here I'm in the middle of this. And, and so... Uh, you know, I, I share this when I speak and talk to young people and, and everyone. We're, we're really never as good as our best day or as bad as our worst day. We're usually somewhere in, in between. And to be defined by one act or action in our life, it's it's really not fair. However, a lot of people will be uh, categorized, if you will, by things that are in, involved in or in. So if you see a, an actor or you see a president, you know, that's where you categorize that, that person. Um, whether you like our president right now or you don't like that president, you're going to categorize it as a president. Um, I have become much more compassionate at people in the public spotlight. That's one thing God's challenged me with uh, through this because I found that people have all these opinions about me and say all these different things, and they don't know me, just as I don't know other people in the public spotlight. And we think we really do know people, but we, we just don't. More with Lance Easley, the author of Making the Call, Living with Your Decisions, after this time out on Motivation with a Purpose. listening to Motivation with a Purpose Radio on TalkZone.com. Back to your hosts, Rich Hallstrom and Zeke Bambolo. On this edition of Motivation with a Purpose, our guest is Lance Easley, the author of Making the Call, Living with Your Decisions, and we are discussing one of the most controversial and one of the most important decisions in all of sports history, but as we've learned so far, Lance is letting us know that that decision, that call, had far more important ramifications on his life for things that were more important. And Lance, once again, thank you very much for being our guest on the show today. Before we went to break, you made a very interesting comment about how that whole situation 
and the way that people reacted to it and reacted to you and perceived you has made you a more compassionate person. How did that happen? Well, um, as I started seeing the the emails and and all the the things that came at me and the hatred and and just um, it started going through my mind that this this is not true. This isn't who I am and how people perceive me to be. That in my own in my own worldview, I was looking at other people in the public eye from what I heard on TV or what I read in the newspaper or I saw on the internet that uh, I, I formed opinions of those people and sometimes held them uh, accountable in ways that really weren't fair because I really didn't have enough information about that individual. So um, it, it kind of enlightened me and took me to a different level of just our civil discourse and how we treat each other, that that we get caught up in things that really aren't, you know, aren't for real, but they they're a public perception, and, and then the way that the media pers- uh, portrays an individual, um, like myself, the way they portrayed me was very interesting um, and, and painful to a certain degree at times, but uh, it's something you can't really fight off, uh, and it's not something new either. It's been going on for centuries. People uh, have been doing this. So uh, it, it's just, again, uh, because I went through it, and now I've I've experienced it. I can be more compassionate towards other people um, due to what God's allowed me to go through. I, I, I guess that's the best way I can I can put it. Lance, let me let, let me throw this there because I want to dive into that a little deeper. As you say that, I'm sitting here and I'm wondering because sometimes when we look at situations, obviously we're talking about a football play that. Nobody, I mean, maybe some people are claiming that you had a vendetta against the Green Bay Packers or somebody else or force you out or whatever the case. But when you say that, I want you to contrast the essence of truth in how you say that in terms of viewing people in the public life with, with, in a public view with more compassion because of what you went through. Uh, I'm looking at the situation. I'm going, well, you know, Lance did his utmost best to represent truth in that moment. Was it a bit erroneous? Well, whatever the case is, it could have possibly been. I mean, I was looking at the video. Yes, you, have, you, you can you can give your judgment, but I don't believe for a moment that you came out to represent the lack of truth, which sometimes is probably more of what someone like that we will kind of try to, especially for us who says we say we're Christians, we'll try to engage that more in the public eye that we want someone to come with authenticity and truth. So can you help us dive a little deeper into what you say when you are being more compassionate? If, if someone is in, the, in, in error, would you still be that compassionate about them is what I'm asking, I guess. Well, um, I think the compassion for me is that, you know, understanding what others are going through, I understand them more, and they understand what I go through. If I talk to somebody in the public spot, like like it's changed. Uh, people around me. I looked at my telephone after this happened, and I started searching for contacts. Who can I call? Who can I call that I know that's been through this? There wasn't one soul in there. So there's a level of uh, understanding and compassion, uh, such as walking in someone else's shoes. That's going on. As far as the the other side of it, um, whether somebody, I think you're talking more about the forgiveness side of it. And um, you know, you, you mentioned something at the beginning of the show. You talked about endurance and perfection, and I kind of want to jump to that if you don't mind uh, in, in regard to what I came up with because you talked about touched on something. I came up with an acronym called DEATH which when the noise in your life is overwhelming, you can become deaf to the noise. And the, the D starts as uh, the side to stand. You don't have to be a victim. And that's your position. And, you're, and, and it's based around Ephesians, your position in Christ. And then E is embrace stress and pressure. It helps you grow. This is a, an area that most people don't find discomforting. All of us do. We don't like the stress and pressure. We don't like the branches being pruned off of us. Um, but it's helpful. And, you know, Paul the Apostle went through it. And, and that's a that's a blessed part of it, and that's the pruning process. The A is adopting an attitude of uh, a good attitude. It's something you can control. Romans twelve one and two talks about you know getting being transformed by the renewing your mind. And then there's there's you know us having the mind of Christ, 
Um, I've lost, I can't think of the scripture verse right now, but that's talking about our perception. And we look at, you know, our position, we go through the pruning process, and how do we perceive that which leads to that perfection where we're forming that foundation and that it builds for us in your situations. Um, so through all this process, the humility in, in the depth that comes to, to look at somebody and then have forgiveness on, and compassion on other people and not beat them over the head. Uh, you, know, you know, for example, people want me to be angry and upset and attack the NFL and or the other officials that are upset with me, and I, I choose not to do that. And some people say, I have the full right to be angry. I, I say, yeah, I do have that right, I guess, if you say so. However, I find it invaluable. It's not valuable. Um, it's an emotion. It's not something that's going to do anything. I've never found that anger, reacting in anger, um, even if somebody wrongs you, is, is a value. Um, and even the tr- highest trained Navy SEALs or, or, or boxers or athletes I- engaging in the, the most difficult things of taking someone's life or fighting, they're not even doing it out of anger. That that clouds one's mind. You you need to be focused in the moment, and anger is a not a very valuable emotion to be engaging in. So forgiveness is much more <laughs> valuable in my because there's not one perfect person here on this earth. There's only one, and he was crucified, and that's the one that I follow. Lance, you also talk about in that acronym. Uh, the second part of it, embrace the pressure and the stress. Let's say there's someone who is listening this morning and and has realized and identified with your story and identified with that pressure and the stress and being underneath the microscope, and they just say, Lance, I don't know how to embrace the pressure and the stress. What would you say to them? Well, um, first off, I would start with going back to where are you at your position in Christ? Okay, first you have to look at that. If you're not in Christ, if you're just standing, you are you are standing. And then you say, okay, why does why does a good a bad thing happen to a good person? And I would say this: it rains on everybody. There could be an earthquake today. I live in California. An earthquake could happen, and it's going to happen to me whether I am saved or unsaved. And we don't understand why all these things happen, but we can remain under them. There's a, the Greek word hupomeno, which uh, that's in the Koine pronunciation, but <clears throat> Paul the Apostle used that, and that's one of my favorite words, and it's our, our English word for, for uh, patience, but it literally means, it's a compound word, hupomeno. Hupo is under, and meno is to remain. And there's circumstances in life are going to happen to everyone. You need to remain under them. And Paul the Apostle talked about the thorn in the flesh. He prayed three times to get have it removed. And then he embraced it as a buffet to keep him low and humble. This situation in my life that I just went through, all it is is the Lord bringing me humble and, and making me aware of that I am a spiritual creation walking through a physical realm. And I would say to the, the people that, that are listening that might question that to say, that would be my biggest question. Do you really realize what's going on on a spiritual level? Are you engaged so much in the flesh and in holding that up, and that's where your value is, that it's not as valuable to God as your spirit? That is what he came to save and redeem. You know, Lance, as as you say that, too, I also want to echo that, the way God works through the scripture as well, the way he works in our lives, even, you know, for those of us who may not be direct believers in the Bible, is that God is, is, he's, he's good at adapting and, and giving us an opportunity to erect monuments in our lives. And those monuments, in essence, the way I look at it, especially for me, I like to focus on like multi-generational legacy a lot. But those monuments are uh, monuments that we put, that we erect, and not only for our time and existence right now, but that our children will someday, or those that follow us, will look back on and say, you know what? That's that was a defining moment, and that was a monument. And so I, I see, obviously, as you continue to build this uh, this discussion with us, a monument that that. Uh, 
for your your life and your generation at this point in time has been has been erected before you or you are working on that as you continue to build that as well. But we want to transfer a little bit of the discussion to the point of your view with this experience. What is your view on authority today as you go through this whole experience with that, with this uh, situation? Are you talking about authority in government, authority uh, in in every area walk of life? I think this, this, well, let's look first at if you had to, as you went through this moment, and you still have to submit to not only the godly authority, but you have to admit to authority within the organization. You talked about the NFL and the structure that was within that system as well. That's and right. so you had to submit yourself under authority in the process of going through this. So can you give us some insights that you have experienced as, you want, as you've gone through this? Um, well, this is, you know, it's interesting, too, that a lot of people have asked me why I speak about uh, what happened. And... Why, why the book's there. And what happened is I realized that my story is not unique. It's everyone's story. That we all have to make decisions in our lives. And a lot, you know, a lot of those decisions can be unpopular. And, and I was just at a leadership meeting here in Santa Maria this morning, and a gentleman spoke about the five different generations that are in the workforce right now, all the way from the World War II to what they call Generation Z, I guess, is the, the last one. <laughs> the, but you get back to the, how each generation responds to authority is interesting, too. And, and, uh, but yet everyone has to make decisions. We cannot avoid make, not making a decision is a decision. So we're all making decisions constantly, and a lot of them can be unpopular. Parents make decisions, and children don't like those decisions. A spouse can make a decision that the other spouse. You have judges. I was an official on an NFL field. You have a judge that has to make a decision that can impact an individual's life very, you know, difficultly, as could the jury's decision. Business owners have to make decisions. Doctors make life and death decisions. They've come up to me after I've spoken. And so I, I am one that believes in authority and that that God gives man authority and that we should it's it's interesting that you bring that up too about faith and standing in where your position is because if you look at position it's based on authority in the family and it's not in a in a what should I say an authority by uh, the righteous king leads by example not by a, a steel ham, a, a steel fist um, the, the king I follow is a servant. That's how he taught me how to lead, is by serving others. So I think that type of authority, but if God places me under authority of the NFL, where I'm at right now, and I work as in my job as a bank, I submit to that authority, and because that God placed us in that authority to follow, if that makes any sense. But uh, those are some of the Man. lessons that I've learned. Lance, that makes perfect sense, because we all have to... Uh, choose the path in which we walk down. And one of the things that I think is really interesting in your book, and I found it in chapter 20, which you, where you talk about noise more, and I'll just read here, and I want you to expound on this. Second guessing a decision is almost as bad as hesitating or procrastinating beforehand. And I think that's one of the most valuable lessons you're trying to teach us this morning is that we all have to make decisions, but we have to make decisions from the point of view of I'm going to do not only the best that I can, but I'm going to develop my skill to make the best decision possible and with the best information and with the proper intentions in mind with thinking about the proper outcome. Am I, am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, yeah, you're, you're right on it. Um, you get the best training you can. You do the best that you can. As long as you, at the end of the day, can say, before, you know, you're looking in the mirror, look yourself back and say, okay, I, I went and got the best training. I went and worked out in this instance uh, in the NFL and got in the best shape. I've, I'm submitting to my authority. I'm submitting to my mentors. I'm asking, I'm looking at the rule book. I'm, I'm researching and preparing myself. And when I speak to young people a lot, I'll, I'll start in that mode. I'll say, you do not know what's going to happen tomorrow, the next day, later this afternoon, 
how are you going to be prepared for that crisis when it comes? Because eight seconds is coming at every one of us. Either we're in a crisis, we're coming out of one, or we're getting ready to go in one. So how do you, how do you prepare for that? And second guessing is really not valuable at all. It, it does, it, that doesn't mean that you can't go back and look at it like I explained earlier how I was disappointed with the way I reacted. I went back and reevaluated and learned from that experience, and that's where we get wisdom. Um, as we get older, we, we learn from, you know, uh, like Thomas Edison, I, how many times did he fail to make the light bulb? You know, failure breeds success. And I even mentioned that in my book. You know, how could failure be a benefit? Yes, it is. It's, it's of benefit because if you look at it correctly, it is of benefit because if you're humble enough to grow and not prideful, you can learn and you can keep growing and become more refined, 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 and so that things do not irritate and bother you and you can have peace. That's what we, we all, I think, you know, you look at our Constitution, the pursuit of happiness and, and peace and liberty, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for peace of mind. And how do you achieve that? Where do you, how do you get to that point? Well, you go through stuff and, and you have to learn and you have to, submit and you have to go through a process and, and it's not going to be easy um too many people want the easy way out they, they think yeah where's the get rich quick scheme or or what's this little the secret where's the secret where i'm going to become a millionaire there the secret's hard work the secret's getting up every day and punching the clock that's what i found the secret to be more with author lance easley on this edition of motivation with a purpose after this time out It's time for more Motivation with a Purpose Radio on TalkZone.com. Now, back to your hosts, Rich Hallstrom and Zeke Bambolo. Welcome back to Motivation with a Purpose right here on TalkZone.com. I'm Rich Hallstrom along with my co-host, Zeke Bambolo. And our guest today is Lance Easley, the author of Making the Call, Living with Your Decisions. And Lance, you are a perfect example of someone who has really put that to the forefront of living with your decisions. And there's definitely a difference between living with your decisions and running away from them. And one of the other things that I found in the book that was very, very interesting, you had your wife write a whole chapter, and you also talked about how this re- this instance, this decision, and this whole circumstance for you changed not only your life, but your marriage as well. Talk about that. Well, there, there's another one. Well, we, the point we were just talking about, about the, the embracing stress and pressure and growth. So here I, I, I made a decision, and now, now I have all this, this external pressure coming at me, which caused me to deal with it. Um, and my wife and I, we had some things going on in, in, uh, with some other areas, and, and so we ended up going and seeing a, a counselor, um, and I started discovering that I had some issues uh, from my younger life that I'd never dealt with. And I thought that when I became a Christian and became saved, they were all taken care of and that was all gone. However, you know, through Christian counseling, I started realizing, no, there were some deeper, deeper issues that were there that were causing me to have, uh, what should I say, uh, put on a mask and a shield, if you will, to cover up not to let people in because I didn't want to be hurt. And I never really realized until I started talking about it that I made a decision as a young person that I did not want to be open to other people. And it, it dawned on me, wow, I wonder how many other people are going through something like this where they, it's too painful to be open with my fellow man. I don't want to be hurt. I've been hurt somewhere before. So it, it was hurting and affecting my marriage because I wouldn't let my wife into certain areas of my marriage. And in essence, being a football official, a former Marine, and, and being in sales, I built, you know, I could take anything. Uh, being on a football field, pressure, I don't care. I'm running things out there. No big deal. But you put me in front of somebody where I have to open up a little bit, that's a whole different story where I have to let somebody in. And Again, by going through this, I would not have discovered this area and this the growth that became from it. 
in the growth in my relationship with my wife and getting closer to her, which is, I think, what most people really, really want at the end of the day is a better relationship with the people they love, a better relationship with their creator, being more honest, more open, um, and more sensitive to the things around them. So I count that as a blessing to me, that, that pruning process that I went through. And that's why you talk about the, the final letter of the uh, acronym that you built is F, forming the friendships and foundations that will see you through. Is that right? Yes, that, that ultimately kind of comes through that process because you find people that are like-minded. You find people that, uh, that you've learned this process from. Uh, I grew up, my father was, was uh, hired his first uh, boss was John Wooden of UCLA, if you know that name, uh, his, his brother, Cat Wooden. And he hired my father, and I grew up around the Woodens and that whole influence. And Coach Wooden was a very instrumental part of my life. And, and my father was a coach and, and around that. So I, I grew up around a lot of that influence, which helped me with dealing with a lot of things. And, and then the friends in different areas and arenas in life, and, and uh, from my friends in, in my church, my pastor, um, those people. Now, one of the interesting things within the book, too, that people, and I felt bad about it, but I did, I felt so concerned. People asked me, how worried were you about your, your safety and whatnot? And I said, I wasn't as worried about myself as I was about the people around me. And I did everything to protect people around me. So I didn't even mention certain people in the book because I felt like I did not want that them to be personally attacked or damaged based on their relationship with me. That's how sensitive I was to that. And, and I'm sure a lot of people that are listening to this feel the same way. Gossip, slander, hearsay, or even identifying with somebody that is going through trials and tribulations that it could take them down. I, I wanted to protect those people. And being a servant of the Lord and being a former Marine, I, I want to protect people. I don't want them to suffer if I made a decision that's unpopular or it could harm uh, their reputation based on our our relationship. But, you know, we're all good with that. Everybody's good with that. And, and I, there's people that aren't even mentioned in my book that are such blessings to me and have, have been there uh, with me. Lance, I'm, I'm going to ask you a question here, a little bit on the spot. I love doing this to our guests, so bear with me. It's not too hurtful. I just want to make, <laughs> but you know, you said you're Marine, so you're ready at all times. But here's, here's the situation. Yeah, sure. I want, I want you to think about a, a, a statement that you've probably adopted since this, but you talked about, um, you, you know, you talked about being more compassionate to people after this experience. You talk about, the things about with your wife, you know, even, and I would term what you were just describing with your wife and, and your, uh, ideal as kind of what I call a lot of times when I do, I do seminars, I call it isolation in a crowd. You know, you, 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 you're, you're happy with the spotlight, but yet you're isolated. And most, most people don't even understand that can happen or they can find themselves in that position. So my question then is, noting what you just expressed and how it, how, how you've adapted all along your life with being isolated yet and still in a crowd, is there a statement or that you've come up with that you think is the statement of your changing experience or the, what has happened that has changed you in the, uh, in the last uh, year or so? Is there, did you, can you give us something that you, maybe you've come up with as a new statement that you would say you have adopted? Um, I, I would say that I'm probably a, a, uh, more compassionate person, for lack of better words, is to be more sensitive and trusting the childlike instincts that are within me that align with uh, trusting that my Creator is with me in, in every moment as well. I just my faith is kind of taken on a, a much deeper, deeper level. Um, and the value in, in relationships and the value of those around me has been heightened to a greater sensitivity. Um, I, I noticed that uh, I could watch a, a movie or something and cry on the drop of a hat where that 
that wasn't about to happen, uh, you know, months ago. Not that I didn't have the ability, but I'm, I'm again, I'm much more sensitive to people around me based on this experience um, and, and what I what I have gone through. I'm, I'm much more sensitive to what they're going through. I'm more much more sensitive to the people just going if I, if I left here and drove to Starbucks and went through the drive-through um, that's not a promotion for them or anything but the person working there that person is another human being and they're working to do whatever they do are we really seeing the people around us you know are are they just shadows do we say hey i hope you have a good day do we really mean that or do we just say it do we really look at that person and say hi how are you and be open to them. Um, these are just little minor things, that, but they're big to me. They're, they've changed me to, to slow down everything in my life and, and to really look and have compassion on my fellow man around me um, and, and, and really care about them and care about their plot, their lot in life. And hopefully, the last statement I would say from that is I found that the Z and the Y, the X generate, whatever the, this generation, the millennials you want to call them, they're so disconnected from face-to-face mm. uh, relationships. And, and we were just talking about the, the guy who spoke this morning at the thing. He broke down every generation, and he said he had in the military where he was training, they had a great, a big room where all these young guys could go and train play video games in one room. They chose to go to their own separate cubicles and play against each other. Instead, and, and that is really where we're at. And I thought, wouldn't it be a blessing if my generation, the face-to-face generation, the people that really want to have that contact, can teach and minister to these younger people about this and hopefully pull them out of that, that, that world that is just, they're so connected, but they're not really connected. And it, it gave me an understanding as to probably a lot of the hatred and, and things that came at me after this. That most of it, you know, people are tough on the typewriter and behind the TV or the computer screen, but nobody showed up at my house. Uh, yeah, we got a package from Wisconsin with some cheese in it. You know, my wife brought it. We had to call the bomb squad and all that. But outside of that, you know, it was just the media. It, hmm. Really, I never really felt a lot. So hopefully that answers your question and gives you some insight to the changes that, that went on in me. Um, you know, and, and I just hope that other men, especially, that, that wouldn't go and get professionally help if something is amiss and they felt that abandonment or going through some of the issues I went, that they wouldn't, that they would go ahead and do that. Because most men don't go to the doctor and tell their arms halfway off. And, you know, they're looking for the needle and thread before they even get there. Um, you know, we just don't go to the doctor. And I think that that's, that's a problem. Um, talking to Coach Dungey, I talk to him every week. And James Brown, we do a Bible study together. Three-quarters of the men that leave the NFL within two years are either divorced, bankrupt, or in complete shambles. That's tragic. How can we stop that? Um, these are more of my concerns. This is where my heart and my compassion and my passions lie at this point in my life. No problem, Lance. No problem. We appreciate it. That's why we have this show, because we want you to speak from the heart. As you, as you say that, I mean, like you, I, too, wrote a book, and it took me some 20 years to reconcile and figure out, okay, it's time to put this thing to paper. You did yours within the year, and I'm trying to – is there something that prompted you? I mean, most people take a lot, a long time, but is there something that prompted you to say, you know what, I must – and it, what was the transformation process that said, I must put this to paper right now rather than wait longer than you, know, than you did? I had no, it was not even on my mind. It, 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 this event happened a year ago on the 24th. We're only, it's, it's like a year anniversary. I, I was speaking about it, and people told me I should write a book about it, and I thought, nah, I, I don't really, I'm not interested in that. And then I met a, a best-selling author who lives here, Brock Caney. He's my co-author, and he said, yeah, Lance, I saw the play. This is a book. This is, uh, we'll go get a publisher. We did the book in two months. Mm. Two months. February 15th, we got the publisher. It had to be done by April 15th to be released by August 15th. It was amazing, the process. And I was, uh, Brock was going to write the whole thing. He interviewed me. We spent a lot of time, and he said, Lance, you know, time's short. We're 
we're going through this. Can you write the whole section on death? Okay, I wrote it to him. Oh, I'll edit it. He said, wow, this is good. We're, we're, you can write, you know, so we got that. Then he had me write some other chapters. So I wrote, ended up writing a large portion of the book, and I wasn't even expecting to write it. Mm. Um, and, and so, no, it, it really, uh, I'm going to share this, Zeke, and I love your name. What a great name you got, boy. Zeke Bambolo, is that how you say it, man? What yes, sir. Yes, sir. I love that name. Um, anyway, I humbly to say this, I, it, you know, the I, I'm worried about, saying too much. I, I think there was a, I think it's St. Augustine that said preach the gospel at all times and use words if necessary that I, I just don't think that really I can say much more than, than what's been said, so I'm very guarded about it. I, I'm very cautious about what I say and what I share and what I write because I don't want to make a, a stumbling block mm-hmm. especially when we're talking about the things of God and the spiritual things. I think it's sufficient. It's there. In fact, I've spent the last 10, 15 years going back in Greek and studying the whole work in Greek, so I could even get closer closer to the original language which it was written in 2,000 years ago. Um, that's where I spent my time. But, uh, yeah, it's very difficult. Not not easy. Writing a book wasn't even on the page, and now there's other things coming and uh, that that people keep requesting. They want to know more. They want to have more resources, uh, the movie, all this other stuff that's, that's coming down the road. So um, I'm just minding my own business, working and and uh, speaking to people that ask me to come speak to hopefully be an encouragement and uplift them and give them hope um, to to deal with the, the issues of life and to, to help them have a, a game plan it's faith-based, if they will, if they, if they choose to listen, um, and, and they, they can get through the crisis, it's ultimately going to come to everyone. Nobody's, you know, Justin Timberlake, you know, all these stars, they have their, they have crisis managers. You and I, the, uh, the regular folk, we don't. You know, how do you deal with it? How do you deal with something like uh, somebody dying? I just went to visit a client yesterday, walked in. Guess what? So, uh, Mr. Jones, I'm just going to use that. Is that isn't here? He passed away last week. Oh wow! And I didn't get to see him. And he's a brother in Christ. And I, it, my heart sunk. Oh, I didn't get to see him one last time. But life is precious. It's short. It's quick. It happens so fast. Lance, in our remaining moments, what's the one thing you want our listeners to take away with from today's show? The one thing that I would hope that, that that people would not give up, that they would look to the one who created all things and, and for their hope and not get so caught up in this this plane, uh, mixing up their gaze and their glance and, and keep their, their gaze on God and their glance on this earth instead of the other way around, that the physical things come and go and that... The value is in in the things of the Lord and other souls, and that they would become kinder, more gentle, and loving with one another, and change some of the civil discourse, especially in this country, um, and try to work together. Because I think that uh, we all are very, very blessed, and and we all bring a lot to the table if we would just, uh, you know, look to help one another out and serve one another. Our guest on Motivation with a Purpose today has been Lance Easley, the author of Making the Call, Living with Your Decisions. Lance, for Zeke and myself, thank you very much for being on the show. And we will encourage anyone and everyone to go out there and get the book. Join me, Rich Hallstrom, and Zeke Bambolo for another exciting episode of Motivation with a Purpose next week on Talk Zone.